and welcome to Metaverse Cast. In this episode, I'm talking to Malene Benson, who is experimenting with publishing and Web3. She has some very interesting points and she has an innovative background. Right now, she's doing an experiment where she's writing a book in 30 days about publishing and Web3. And she has some pretty good ideas about how business could look like for authors in the future around using blockchains and NFT. Super interesting. So let's hear what she has to say. Hello, Malina, and thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. I found you on LinkedIn because you are doing a crazy project. We're talking about Web3 and publishing. And right now you are doing a crowdfunding campaign and you're doing uh, a kind of where people can watch you write a book in three days. Uh, uh, 30 a- days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, 30 days. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to dive a little bit deeper on, on that project. But uh, first of all, you know, let people know who you are and, uh, you know, what got you here. Yeah, uh, I, I really have a, mostly a business background. Most who are editing books and publishing books, they have like a more journalistic background or writer's background. But I don't. I come from a business perspective uh, and I used to be head of innovation in a big insurance company before. I've also been a teacher for the longest time. And for the past seven years, I have been working within uh, self-publishing. First, a couple of years in Lima, actually introducing Saxo.com, which many Danish Danish listeners will know, uh, as a self-publishing company in Latin America. And I learned the business from from the inside uh, during those years. And when I returned to Denmark in 2017, I uh, decided to become a book coach. So since then, I have published one book myself, but around 30 books I've been uh, editing for customers. Uh, So where I was directly involved in the entire process from blank page to published book. Uh, And also I've had uh, been running an authors program where I teach nonfiction authors how to self-publish books. Uh, different from other types of authors because they're business people and they're really not interested in becoming writers. They want to have a book that is published and that can attract customers to their business. So uh, recently I have noticed that uh, this industry is changing. Uh, Through all this practical experience, I have learned there are so many decisions that will determine whether or not you can actually make money in the end or not. Uh, And I realized at some point that it's really a huge weakness in the industry. And this will open up for a more disruptive innovation. So the disruption so far has been self-publishing. And only recently I realized that's really just rubbish. (laughs) Because you could always write your own book and go to a book printer and publish your books. So the real difference is print on demand that you can now, instead of printing uh, maybe 5,000 books and uh, try afterwards to sell those 5,000, you can then uh, 
promote one book and whatever time a copy of your book is sold, people, uh, the, you will print one and send one. And there are services that handle that, which make it, makes it accessible and affordable for authors. But I've come to realize that that's only for certain books. For some books, you're very dependent that you kind of have a backend and you have something else to sell. So the business of being an author is quite complicated, really. And so, um, yeah, so th this is a, like the short version of, uh, <laughs> of how I came about uh, this book project, uh, because obviously um, the book project is about how web free is going to change the publishing industry or at least the opportunities for the authors. Yeah. That's super interesting. First of all, I'm curious to hear your take on how Web3 is going to change it for authors. Uh, but also, you know, what are you actually on the stuff that you're doing right now with your campaigns and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Uh, so, but first of all, let, let's hear, you know, what, what is it that you think Web3 is going to change for authors and how? Well, you can say that... Um... We don't have, a, I don't have specific data for at a global level or for a, any specific market except for the US book market. So let's, let's look at that. It's 29% it's of the global market. So it's a quite big indication. And at least for Europeans and Americans and even South Americans, that's, that's, a, that's a big part of it. So uh, revenues in the US publishing industry in 2020 was around 26 billion US dollars. 55% on that of that is sold on Amazon, which is uh, both paperback and eBooks and also audiobooks, right? The, the interesting thing is that it's been consolidating for a long, the longest time. This revenue number has been quite steady even since uh, the financial crisis back in 2008, maybe even longer. So that's quite a, a long period of time with no growth, zero growth. And uh, we see that uh, the big five in 2020 actually became the big four publishing companies. Uh, so these are Penguin, uh, Ashet, HarperCollins, and Macmillan. So these four are now, they are actually uh, uh, responsible for 80% of the book revenue. 80% of the industry is on four companies and their profits are going up. That means that profits in the remaining 20% is going down and there are more and more small publishers, both indie authors that become our publishers, but also uh, um, people who basically have similar businesses to mine where they are book coaches, they help with the entire process, but there are different models of whether or not they will take a cut of the revenue, whether or not they will own the book or not. So let's call them all publishers, even if they don't uh, call themselves publishers. So there, there are many in-between solutions between doing everything yourself and having one of the big four, right? But those 20%, that revenue, 20% of the revenue more and more people are fighting over the crumples. Yeah. And the one party that is never winning is actually the author. So an author will get a, on average 10% royalty with traditional publishing. For self-publishing, it can be a lot higher or a lot lower. And it depends so much on the more technicality. So if 
you want to self uh, self publish as print on demand a high quality colored book with maybe 200 pages there is close to zero profits in that so you will only depend on additional revenue streams like public speaking doing workshops online courses or having a membership you need something else and this happens in spite of uh, the the amount of adult readers and we're now talking from 18 years so even within the 18 to 29 year segment there's an increase in the number of book readers all the way up to 65 plus that's the only segment that plateaued it didn't decline it just plateaued so more people are reading more books but all of this what am i trying to say all of this it seems very much like a broken industry. It looks like other industries that we know that will be also disrupted by the blockchain, like banking, insurance, also publishing, where very few big players are profiting more and more. And it's getting further and further away from what was really the purpose of publishing, like having a stimulating imagination with uh, with uh, great stories and books with teaching subjects within these books all of this content should be what the business was about it should be about uh, the creators the authors and the readers and this industry is now about not about the authors it's not about the creators so my book a working title is something along the line, power back to the creators <laughs> and also um, and, and using the technology from Web3 to do so. So yeah, that, that's, that's really uh, what this entire project is about. There okay. are a few other things that also is uh, relevant to look at. So now I'm, I'm describing kind of, if you know the blue ocean strategy, this will be like the red ocean I'm describing. Yeah. Sharks are fighting over the crumples and there are really not a lot of fish left in this sea. The, the revenue has been stable for 15 years. So mm. that's not a healthy industry, right? But there are a few other problems in the industry, like copyrights and copycats and plagiarism, people who are stealing original work and selling it as their own. Uh, so that's another problem. How, how do we deal with that? And we've been struggling with it for a while. And I think most by now would say we just have to accept that. But we've, we, when we talk about web free in a minute, we will no longer just have to accept that. <laughs> you could also say that the development as of the book as a product has kind of stalled also. So we have paper books, they're still very popular and even hardcover books are still 40% of all revenue. So that's quite a lot. Paper books is definitely the most, the biggest segment or the biggest product category. We have 20% of consumers listening to audiobooks rapidly increasing like any other audio formats are. 15% presentation of ebooks has actually been stable for a while. Why? Maybe because they're pretty boring in terms of design. <laughs> and uh, you, could, you could say they are, these products, the book product is like a um, created from or has developed into a one size fits all, like uh, because we rely on volume in printed books 
all readers get the same experience, but they shouldn't have to in a digital world uh, where we can uh, customize products in many other product categories than books. Why not on books? We also have um, like not taking advantage of uh, the, we have distinct formats. It's either paper or ebook or audio, but why not uh, have a more multi multimedia approach? Like you can see, you have from the past, it's, it's at least 10 years ago, I talked to um, an ebook producer who told me that it was possible to include video in an ebook, for example or listening to the audio at the same time as you're reading, but we kind of keep these formats separate. So we have, we have quite a few um, symptoms that this industry is open for disruption. <laughs> Everyone is trying to hack the system. And what do I mean by that? I mean, like trigger the algorithm. A best-selling author is not necessarily best-selling, but best-ranked. A New York Times selling author is not necessarily selling the most books. For example, self-publishing authors have a really hard time getting in on those lists. So these are actually very opinionated lists. Um, people are trying to bypass the system completely, trigger the algorithm or bypassing the system building their own big following first and then sell directly to their following. So all of these are, are symptoms. And to get back to your question, so what, how can Web3 then help us? First of all, Web3 is based on uh, blockchains. Uh, blockchains. So uh, when um, I, I assume most of your listeners will have an idea what blockchains is, but just to, to make sure that, that it's a kind of distributed power, both of server power, but also of uh, documentation is transparent. We, once it's recorded on the blockchain, it will never go away. It can never be deleted. And uh, just to take the, the, the easy um, kind of learning point here first, if that, what would that mean for copyrights, for example? It means that it would be very easy to identify the original owner or creator of a piece of content because it's minted on the blockchain. So it could potentially, I have no clue how yet, <laughs> but it could potentially solve that copyright problem. It, most likely other issues will occur but, uh, and, and appear, uh, but, but it's definitely interesting to see how this new way of documenting things will be um, an advantage for the authors. This also means if we talk NFTs, if we created a book as an NFT, and it can be either, you can say, directly as an NFT if it's a digital product. So it could be an ebook, an audiobook would be very easy to deliver as an NFT. People buy an NFT, a token, and to that token is attached a, a digital version, version that is not necessarily the same version to all types of NFTs you're selling as an author. So there can be multiple uh, editions, multiple uh, endings to a novel, for example, or multiple level of additional material included. Um, it's very easy to imagine how an NFT for digital books 
could um, definitely be interesting. But even for paper books, it can be an NFT can hold other um, assets like a participation in events, a book reading, a participation in a and a physical one uh, in-person workshop, for example, there can be other content included. So it could also be printed books. Uh, and I'm sure it's only uh, a matter of imagination how we can use these NFTs to creatively create another type of product for the reader. For the author, it will be super interesting in terms of the business model as well. First of all, Today, if I sell a book, I, I would sell it through some, usually through some bookstore. I will have no idea who bought that book. And you can say, if you go to a physical bookstore, it kind of makes sense, at least if I paid in cash, <laughs> that you wouldn't, the bookstore don't know who I am either. But 55% of all book sales is on Amazon. They have, their entire business is customer data. That's how they make money, that they are excellent at uh, capturing and processing customer data in order to uh, create the algorithm that will show me exactly what I'm looking for. But the author has zero access to customer data. With an NFT, even if the book and the NFT is resold on a second market, which is another interesting aspect of it, that a book would then be actually be resellable. I can get, get back to that point. But at any point, as an author, I would kind of have a, a hook into and be able to identify and deliver additional value to all of my readers. So it will become a lot more about the readership than about the authority, really, and about the distribution. Um, behind an NFT is a smart contract. So many people have this little bit wrong image that an NFT is just a, a tweet or a, a picture of a monkey or something else. It, it's, there's usually some visual representation attached to the NFT and uh, it's easy to imagine that could be the book cover. But behind that, there's an underlying a digital smart contract that determines what happens if uh, the owner NFT uh, does this? What then happens? So there's a lot of if then uh, programmed into this product that they're purchasing. And one of those things could be that the author gets rewarded every time the book is sold. So I might buy free copies of this book from that author in order to keep one myself and hoping that the value will actually go up either because of scarcity, there's less NFTs available than the market would like to buy, or because the author adds additional, it's called airdrops, additional value into that NFT later on. And I'm kind of buying them as an investment and a bet because I believe in this author. I believe in this topic. I believe in this, maybe there's a, a, a like a, not a charity, but some kind of a, social uh, intent or something attached to that project as well that I believe in. And for that reason, I'm happy to buy more than one and I can then later sell a few of them. The author will get rewarded. My mother-in-law, if I put that in the smart contract <laughs> or um, maybe some organization will receive something every time it's sold. 
Uh, so there's so many ways the business model will change as well. Yeah. Short answer is, okay, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see, uh, you know, definitely, my, you know, I run a tech company and we work with the technology side behind everything. And I know that uh, a lot of the stuff that you mentioned is a little bit tricky on the tech side, you know, if you actually want to make it work. And also uh, the big question is always the, the gap between, you know, what you make on your whatever NFTs, uh, Web3 assets and transferring that into currency that you can actually spend in the supermarket uh, because there has some rules involved in that and i know especially this this whole point with the royalties uh can cause a lot of problems with different uh systems and laws around the world yeah. uh, which kind of sucks because the idea is pretty good yeah. um, but we, the, the, i think the main problem is that that rules are not keeping up the technology yeah. is there and people could use it for what you're saying yeah. Uh, yeah. but they're probably going to uh you know, get in trouble with rules, which is which makes it a little bit the same as with the self-publishing thing, right? Because on the like the print-on-demand, as you say, you know, it's it's a good idea. You can just buy one book, but as soon as you you know have a good quality product, unless people want to pay three times three times as much as they would in a bookstore there's basically no profit left for you. Mm. And there, there some, similar there, there, issues yeah. could rise with this whole royalty uh, models, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, there are definitely, uh, just to take the, the last part first, there are definitely decisions you can make so that you can profit. And as a, as a non-fiction author particularly, it's, uh, it's rather easy to come up with products that you can kind of, connect to but we, but you but but there's still a lot of issues there as we talked about in terms of maturity of these solutions then i agree with you we are um well when when i was head of innovation in this insurance company i created a project uh, uh, we created an insurance store inside of second life back in 2009 and and that that was built on the blockchain, right? It was it was we we bought bitcoins to learn about that back then. So it I see it like it's kind of been under the surface for 15 years, <laughs> but now commercial ways of using this is starting to appear. So that's where we add that it's coming to the surface, uh, but it's also just developing super fast. That's kind of always the breakthrough. If you look like an exponential curve, it would be almost flat for the longest time. And we're right where it starts uh, increasing now. Uh, so there are actually, uh, I know of two, uh, what, what are they? They are the book distributors. So if you buy an, a book from Amazon today, uh, you probably get it delivered from one of these companies in Europe. So they are, uh, they, are, they are pushing physical books <laughs> yeah. and working a lot with uh, publishers directly, not so much with authors directly, but with publishers. So they, have, they are a technology and distribution companies. Um, they are right now developing author and publisher services 
that's going to remove some of those problems. And one, one thing is, for example, one of them is working with you being able to pay not in crypto coin, but in, in, a, in dollars. Uh, when when you as a reader want to buy a book because there will be uh, it will be a while i'm pretty sure that in a in in quite a few no quite a few would mean a lot of years in a few years <laughs> um, we will all be accustomed to having a digital wallet using cryptocurrency or whatever but right now that's a barrier for readers to buy such book uh, that they both need to understand what is an nft uh, how do I read my book? There's a lot. It's a steep learning curve. And at least we can take the currency part out by allowing them to pay in normal money. Uh, so it's within the platform. It's it's actually translated. To there's there's already, already plenty of providers who can hook you up with a yeah. with a solution where you can buy your NFTs yeah. with the, you know, OpenSea yeah. is already doing that. Yeah. Uh, but pretty much every project you build, there's an app you can build and then people can pay, pay with the yeah. credit card. Yeah. So, so that, that's, that's, a, that's a learning curve, both for readers and also for authors, not yeah. only to imagine and create the strategies of how could I use this, but to implement. There are a lot of issues still, um, but I know that I, know that, uh, I asked this, uh, uh, it's a, especially the German company that will be releasing, uh, uh, and I think it will be publisher services, by the end of this year. So we're mm. not talking five years from now. And it will have a lot of issues in the beginning, <laughs> like any other new technology. It might even be not be the specific technology that we have right now that is going to be the mainstream technology. But it's definitely um, a cousin to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, at, so at the moment, I was, you know, Compared to the uh, development of the website building tools, uh, yes. you know, because that's the basis I've been in since the yeah. 90s. Yeah. And uh, we used to have to write all the HTML ourselves. And then there was these yeah. like drag and drop programs, which was the same as the like desktop publishing programs. And and now everybody's like dragging, dropping on the web. Yeah. Uh, and that development took 15 years. Yeah. It has taken a year and a half in the Web3 space from yes. everything happened to be, yeah. you know, written in solidity and, uh, you know, you have to have a programmer. And now basically there's nothing you can do, you can't do with some kind of drag and drop uh, or no code solution. Yeah. And on the consumer side, you can say that uh, this sense that there is a steep learning curve and there's a lot to learn. Um, if I'm a little, well, I, I, maybe this is a little bit discriminating, but the younger generations, they are used to many of these uh, things in gaming already. They are just, they are longing. They create their avatar. They, they earn things. They add to their avatar, but they cannot bring it to another platform. They could if it was an NFT. They might be able to bring it to another platform. So there are certain, uh, certain groups of people who are much closer to this already and and it's exactly the same as when i uh, sometimes tell young people that i taught it in the 90s and and people say but but did, did, did you actually what did you teach programming no how to not hit enter at the end of each line of text that's what i was teaching 
<laughs> because that's what we did on a typewriter. Uh, we taught from that in WordPerfect, you needed to know the code and it would not came out the same way on the printer as what you were seeing on the screen. So I taught, now we are in the age of WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get on the screen. <laughs> That's what will come out on the printer. And these concepts for young people hearing this, they will say, this sounds like it's ages ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's a while ago, I'm not 25. <laughs> but, but that learning curve was also like a big jump, a big mind shift. And this will be too. And for me, you could say, should we then wait, start talking about this until it's all well-developed and all mature? No, I think we should start learning. And I think it's going to go a lot faster than any other development than we saw before. Um, so, so I agree, it's not completely, it's not perfect yet. It's probably never will. It's a, there, there are issues, but there are also uh, people with huge interest, interest in the publishing industry that are currently working on uh, UX design and uh, teaching people how to use this, developing uh, smoother processes, more integrated. Like right now, it doesn't feel very integrated either. Yeah. First, I need a wallet, and then I need this, and, and I need to figure out they're not on the same platform so i need to figure out which platform each time and and uh, yeah, that's true yeah. And, yeah. Uh, there's no doubt that that's going away usually you know that kind of friction just disappears with time because people find a solution yeah uh, i'm curious you know if we if we try to make a little experiment where we say you know probably five ten years is way too long uh, as we say things are moving past maybe you should go with three years and say yeah. okay three years from now a publisher that you imagine are doing all the right things, yeah. what are they doing? They are definitely they have a very uh, user-friendly solution for creating NFTs for authors. Uh, if they if they don't uh, realize that their role is not to be a gatekeeper but to be a facilitator, um, they need to move from the selection of the few to the service of the many. We need to, to really, like the internet for the longest time has uh, had the purpose of releasing knowledge, sharing stories, that everything is available to everyone. This gatekeeper system, it's just not gonna work anymore. They need to find ways to, make, to, to work directly with the creators and to make the creator's business the key focus. Um, um, of, of, their, uh, of their attention. So for example, that, uh, that it's not just about the text in a book, it's very much about formats. It's about creatively connecting what they are doing with their book to their business, for example. Uh, so they have become better, uh, better maybe even mentors for them <laughs> in, in building their business, definitely. Yeah. I don't think all publishers will survive this. Uh, it will be like in any other big, uh, this is really not based on the publishing industry. I'm saying this, this is a general a pattern that happens when there is a, a big disruption in, in an industry or, and especially if it's a bigger technology driven uh, disruption that changes many industries, there are publishers that will not survive this, that will 
keep insisting and protecting what's already working and they will be too late. Yeah. Um, so definitely, I, I, I don't know if some of the big four are right now working on any of this. I, I, I hope they are. <laughs> but we know, for example, that was it Kodak that invented the digital image <laughs> and then didn't want to market it because they would be hurting their film role business. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's a classical um, uh, behavior uh, for pop companies that are big, that were old and that had success. That's a free worst illnesses to suffer from, from for a company. And yeah. there's a, out of the 10, maybe, uh, maybe I should have looked this up, I don't know. But uh, on, the, on let's just say the top seven or eight, there are quite a few of these publishing houses that are from before 1900. Yeah. So they, they are definitely, they suffer from all of these. <laughs> big, big so, old and successful. Yeah. yeah. So I hope, I hope they can find ways where they can make this an addition and a smooth transition instead of um, ignoring that this is actually happening. They should take part in educating. Uh, the problem is that they don't really have this, um, they don't have that broad, um, that wide, uh, what is that, connection to either readers or really not authors. They have the selected few. They, yeah. they don't have all of the indie authors, for example, and some of them, and the mindsets might be a little bit different and the needs are a little bit different. So, yeah. I think basically, you know, the, the, the core, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a gamer, so I always, I use like core gameplay at, at, at playing a given situation, like the publishers, like from the beginning, it was, they had the distribution, you know, they had the distribution mechanism and we see similar needs today, but it's audience, like all the creators, you know, if you both have to spend your time uh, creating audience and mm -hmm. also create, that's super hard. So basically what I can imagine if they have the technology that we have talked about, yeah. what their service would be is that they can actually help uh, the authors uh, create and publishers, creators to build their audience and manage that whole yeah. audience building part of things yeah. because the, the, the actual publishing is pretty much automatic. Yeah. But you so still you need say... this whole, uh, you know, because audience, like everybody's talking about community Community is is the thing today, yeah. uh, and everybody you know and their uh, neighbor's parrot will be wanting to build communities, and and that can be in many sense of the word doesn't have to be like a Facebook group or a Discord server, but definitely have a group of people that they have gathered around them to yeah. to like buy their products, yeah, uh, which is going to be. <laughs> exponentially harder in the future yeah and you could say that they should start adding new kinds of competence to their organization because now it's very much on finding the optimum print volume <laughs> that's how they make their money and that's also why an an author actually can experience let's say you wrote a book you got a really good publisher they 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 really believe in your book and they say we're going to start with five thousand copies these 5,000 copies are sold. It's, an, it's a success. 
So you would want them to keep promoting the book, but their market analysis might show them that there are only around 500 books left in the market. So, and printing the next 500 would have the, the price per book significantly increase. So they might not want to do that. Yeah. So they might take it off the market at a time where it's widely successful. Mm. So some of these uh, giving the power back to the creators, uh, I think is both um, if they, if they want to help uh, the authors in this situation, they have to go from print optimization to experienced value for the readers and how they can help the authors have enough impact that this community community will grow more easily on its own, really. Yeah, yeah I very much agree. That and is, I'm not that, sure that's they the... have these competences currently. That's not what they're good at. No, no. So they 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 will definitely be challenged. They maybe, will. Uh, maybe maybe uh, it's not publisher at all. It's a new brand of companies that will arise that actually does that because yeah. the technology is, without saying too much, fairly easy. Uh, but it's it's actually the attention uh, of the readers, which is the difficult part, because that also changes all the time. Now, yeah. One day it's TikTok, and then it's Facebook, and then it's whatever comes next, and so yeah. forth, Metaverse and, and everything. Yeah, and more, probably more fragmented as well, that uh, if, if I was writing a fantasy novel, I might want an editor who specialized in that, and that would not be like a marketing agency who could help me with that. But if I'm a nonfiction author, it could be a marketing agency that helped me with the entire process. It's more, their competences are actually more like the ones we would need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, they, I think that the publishing industry will very soon start uh, talking about risk, showing all of uh, the experiments that went wrong, talk about energy, energy consumption on the blockchain, they will find some of these arguments for a while. So they will they will fight against it for a while. Yeah. Hopefully the smarter ones <laughs> will uh, in parallel start uh, experimenting with this. I think so. Yeah, we've already seen not publishers, but Salesforce have created their own NFT uh, platform and are doing things in that. So there yeah. are big uh, people like outside the tech scene looking in on this because it has many different uh, use cases yes okay cool but so so let me so, uh, tell me about what it is you're doing because i was just <laughs> like okay what 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 the hell is up here <laughs> well <laughs> well if i take it from a little bit of a personal perspective first um when when i left my uh, job as a director in this at the, in the end it was a director in this insurance company when i left my job there I said that I want to let my inner gypsy free. <laughs> I felt there was a part of me that there was just no space. All of this, I have so much creativity and innovation in me. And I was kind of, end, and I ended up in a more, in a role where there was just no space for that anymore. Uh, so I, I kind of felt I have to let this free. And I have been living it through being a, I call myself a part-time digital nomad. I dance Cuban salsa and I do a lot of other things that, that they kind of add spice to my life. And I decided I want to work with knowledge and uh, liberate knowledge <laughs> from all of the people who are holding on to it and have fear sharing it with the world. 
Uh, so that's some elements of it. But I recently discovered that they are just, that was just 10% of the inner gypsy. <laughs> the, the, the gypsy is still a little bit too much on the inside. So I wanted to get back to what I was best at, and that is really coming up with innovative strategies. So this is to show different innovative strategies. It really is not, uh, the, you mentioned the Indiegogo campaign. I want to show that the structure of one, what could this look like in an NFT world to make it interesting for people? I, I've embarked on such a huge journey right now with a book and a campaign and everything that I know I'm not going to be successful in all of it in the way that it could be. Uh, I will not have the time to promote all of it in the very best way. I'm doing this for my um, for the participants in my membership, in the Goosebump membership, so that I have some, uh, well, I probably shouldn't call them use cases if I didn't kind of follow them all the way through, but I wanted to have it as like templates of this is how it could look like if you work with NFTs. Also, I'm looking for the segment that is interested in anything new, interesting, that wants to do something different, that needs stimuli, and they want something that is exciting. So that's also giving me a lot to write about that's exciting for them, that can attract them into a process inside of Goosebump that will be much longer. Uh, so it's not, it's not about those campaigns. It's not really about this book either. I use the book to, to have this conversation with them and to engage uh, with them in a way that they will learn, is, uh, but also where it helps me find my words about this, because this is, this is brand new territory. <laughs> I haven't, usually when we create nonfiction book, people have been teaching the subject like a million times. They know the exact structure already. Um, this is a visionary, explorative book, uh, and I need to find my words. How can I best explain this in a way where I balance what we talked about here, the, the exciting new opportunities, the problems that is uh, that we need to handle right now, still for a while, inside of the publishing industry when we want to self-publish, uh, but also with uh, the maturity and when is it ready? So I need to balance all of this. And the book, I use a book project to do so. Mm. Uh, so. So it will help me find my words in a way that uh, makes it the most easy to understand. Um, and, and, and in the same time, it gives me a lot to talk about that's interesting for the specific target audience that I have. Yeah. So what, what is Goosebump exactly? Goosebump is a membership, so there's a free a free part that is where I run this uh, this. Uh, it's a you could call it a challenge, but it's really a challenge uh, for myself. <laughs> I just let people be part of it, and they can copy my process if they want. Uh, but I am doing it. I, I had to be quite explicit that I'm doing this. For, for, that I have I'm dedicated to the book this month, <laughs> so it's a brand. The membership, uh, the paid membership, hasn't even opened yet. So mm. it's uh, at, right now it's a. It's a free platform and there will be these kind of activities. And then I have a, a that will September, beginning of September, I should say, <laughs> probably first. Um, 
there will be uh, opening a membership that kind of holds the author program that I already had, uh, but organized a little bit differently and more, more um, like was easier to kind of pluck and play and uh, or and easier to take what you need uh, for your process because that fits this segment better. Yeah, that sounds great. So, yeah. And it's it's called goosebump really because it 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 has to be a reminder that it can never be boring to be there. It has to be kept exciting. So, but but also the purpose for uh, for the offers that I'm helping inside Goosebump is to create goosebumps in the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, they they also should create something super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I have one question that I always ask people, but before that, I have, a, I have that there's been an idea rummaging around in my head uh, yeah. that that that's keeping you know it, it's saying that I should ask you about it. <laughs> uh, I I used to read a lot of those uh, what's it called in Danish? It was Sverre and Tolton. You know these books where you know where you are the hero. You know you know go to page this if you want to do yeah. that and go you know. Yeah. Uh, can I don't know the English term of these, but in the 80s there was a lot of them, and they've yeah. kind of resurfaced. Yeah, resurfaced a bit. We well, kind and of create thinking, your own story within the book. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've been thinking about because I have this path of getting from like uh, zero to the first earned uh, dollar in pretty much any project. I've done it many many times, and I've been thinking about doing this, you know, selection. You know, okay, do we have this or that? Then do that. And if you have that, do that. You know that kind of a book yeah. uh, would be fun, and and definitely something as you say would need to be more like an interactive uh, experience. Uh, yeah. So, it would so be, I think that the, the shift to NFTs will will uh, initiate or or inspire many people to think ebook and audiobook first, and then also a print version version. Yeah. Whereas it's the other way around now. We just we just uh, digitize the paper with the paper version. <laughs> uh, but there's so many more opportunities of making the book an experience if we think it the other way around. And actually, profits are a lot higher on those books because there's yeah. no print cost. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think that's that's gonna drive some of this once we start seeing examples. So uh, oh, going back to my project. I'm going to try and do as much as I can with this book. I'm going to make a, in the, in, in the Indiegogo campaign, you can see there are different perks and these perks are what do you, if you donate this amount, you get this. If you donate this amount, you get that. But I've actually built into that, that there will be like a, a special edition for you which talks about the Indie campaign and how I created that. There was like a separate chapter uh, is something extra so they don't all get the same book mm. uh, so i'm gonna try and use oh, i'm not gonna try i am using this book project not just to publish a book but to try out many of these things like creating an nft from a book <laughs> and maybe i can do it this year maybe it turns out it's just not ready and i need to do it next year but it's not gonna be in three years i'm so i'm sure yeah. yeah. So it's it's an it's a test also of of many of these things, and once we start showing some of these examples, 
it will inspire other people to um, join the party and start uh, using their imagination of what this might look like. So we just need to be some who start creating books and I'm sure the snowball will roll. <laughs> Are you mentioning the NFTs and, and stuff like that on, on your Indiegogo campaign? I am not allowed to say that people get an NFT, but I have, I have instead, I have, because you, you, you cannot give financial motives. You cannot offer ownership, for example. Yeah. Uh, you, you, so the donation has to be a donation with no uh, obligation of giving, giving away some of your business. Uh, but I did include like first access to buy NFTs, for example. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I also, at the highest level, uh, offered that people can get directly involved in the creation of my NFT. So they will be a part of the project and learn with me. Um, and I cannot write that on Indiegogo, but it's possible that they would then get an NFT. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the reason I ask is I did quite a lot of crowdfunding from, uh, what was it, 2011 to 15 or something like that, mm. both on Indiegogo and Kickstarter. Uh, and I know that there was there are these rules, and I was just curious because I haven't checked up on uh, you know what's what's their policies around you know this whole Web three space uh, yeah. because basically a lot of Web three uh, uh, projects are crowdfunding you know just yeah. on other platforms. So you know again talking about publishers, you know now there's also these crowdfunding platforms, yeah. and uh, you know it would be right in their alley to actually start you know working with. A Web3 uh, project this, as well. And this is another reason. This is an, a project that would interest my target group. And my target group are actually using Kickstarter and Indiegogo and maybe not, not GoFundMe, I think, but Kickstarter and Indiegogo as a social media platform. They, they can spend hours browsing new projects there. So yeah. it's also just tapping into an audience <laughs> and be present like I... I publish a book on Amazon because there's a lot of people going to Amazon to buy books. Yeah. It, it, this is basically also the same reason why I'm doing an Indiegogo campaign. So there are multiple purposes. Yeah. yeah. Where cool. raising money is actually the last, the last, uh, the least important part of it. Yeah, it's more like a marketing thing, <laughs> yeah, which crowdfunding actually usually is, or at least became, uh, yeah. because people set their goals uh, very low so that they can exceed the target and all the bells are ringing and all the algorithms triggering and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, last question is, you know, what are you most looking forward to on a personal level around the whole Web3 metaverse future? Oh, um, well, for me personally, I'm a sucker for learning. So... <laughs> It's just a, it. I just love that something new is happening, <laughs> and and also I my heart is really in education, and that everyone should have. If if somebody has knowledge that somebody else can use, that that's kind of what I'm passionate about. I love when people grow. Uh, I remember back in the '90s when I was teaching IT, people would come back on day two and say that I opened it. So that would be the very big computer with a huge screen <laughs> that they had in a big box in their bedroom that it's been sitting there for months and they hadn't even opened the box yet, but they did buy a computer, but now they opened it. That sense that you can 
break some of those barriers for people and they can start uh, being excited about doing something. And I know this will be exciting for my audience and it will make more people start doing awesome things. So if I can kind of facilitate uh, and fertilize the, the earth for them a little, <laughs> the yeah. ground a little, um, that would be, uh, that would be uh, something that kind of, it energizes me. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, we, we're going to share all your links to your different uh, things in, in, uh, in the show notes. But where do you recommend, you know, people start? Well, if, if, since uh, uh, this episode is out quite uh, in, in the very beginning of my book project, uh, going to uh, goosebump.pop, obviously it's dot pop, yeah. <laughs> because we need to make it different when we're like me. <laughs> uh, goosebump.pop, you can sign up for the Watch Me Write a Book Challenge there and get directly into the Goosebump uh, free membership. And it's going to stay free. So it's a good place to be because more will happen there. The, the pro is something separate. Uh, this, is a, this, is a, this is just the beginning. And the project, as I mentioned, will be about writing right now. But we will go through all of the other stages as well uh, further uh, down the road. <laughs> okay. So that's a good Ooh. place to start. Or LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, or LinkedIn, link, LinkedIn if on social media would be a good place to start too. Yeah, that's another question I always ask. You know, are you okay if people reach out to you on yes. LinkedIn? Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I, the whole purpose of this is to get into conversation about where this might be going. Yeah. I was just thinking about the pop. Is that actually meant for the publishing or actually for pops? You know, like <laughs> publishing. <laughs> okay. But I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the other definition yeah. as well. <laughs> Maybe a crossover. Yeah. Could be. All right, Meline. Thank you very much for taking your time. And uh, yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. See you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I think one of the points that stood out to me, there's many interesting things. Definitely this whole thing about digital assets open up some opportunities for creators and publishers all around. Everybody seems to agree on that. The question is, how will it actually work out in a practical sense? I'm still a little bit out on that. I haven't really seen it because, as we also talk about in the conversation, mainly all of this stuff, all the stuff that you can create as a creator, an author, whatever, the possibilities are many, but without an audience, it doesn't really matter. Or does it? I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. But still, one of the things that really stood out to me as a like a core mechanic that is interesting is the ability to resell ebooks. Because if they are NFT, they can be resold just like any other NFTs. Not getting into the practicalities of you know how a book would work as an NFT, yada yada, all that kind of stuff. But still. First of all, one of the things that has always been kind of funny is that 
maybe not so much, but at least maybe like five, seven years ago, some people would say, get my uh, limited uh, edition ebook. And everybody would be like, uh, limited edition ebook, it's a file, you know, you can send out as many as, you know, people want. But now using NFTs, you can actually create limited edition ebooks, which could potentially lead to the scarcity of a book that makes the price go up, which also means that it will be interesting to both resell it, but also for publishers to get a little uh, a little bit of the revenue for the secondhand market. And I've researched since we recorded this episode that there are actually some publishers who are thinking in this direction. I think it's Pearson who does uh, textbooks, uh, like non, like uh, what's it called, educational textbooks. Because students, they usually, you know, after they, they have to buy uh, a certain list of books after a semester. Uh, and usually they don't need them anymore. And maybe there's like people on each side of the planet. Uh, so it doesn't make much sense to actually ship the books. You know, that would be too expensive. But if it's ebooks and it's, you know, there's, and they are NFTs, then you could uh, send them. There's a lot of underlying tones of, you know, greed here. You know, is it greed from publishers who wants to... I don't know, you know, we still have to figure out. I think I think the I still think the technology around digital assets and the benefits that create are good and interesting. But I'm not necessarily a fan of speculation and doing something out of greed. But question is, is that what it is? I'm not sure. You know, let's see where this leads. But definitely, I think it's an interesting future for authors and, and creators of all kinds. Thank you very much for listening. See you in the next one.